Hello, old friend. We are fresh off of our Memorial Day holiday where we were riding in the Pleasure Palaces, and this is Westworld The Recapables, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am your host, David Shoemaker. Today, we are talking Season 2, Episode 6, Phase Space. And unlike most weeks, we're doing this after airing, so we do have subtitles, we do have Reddit groupthink, but we'll never have a safety net. In this episode, we get Maeve finding her daughter, Dolores driving a train into the Mesa, the man in black ditching his daughter, the QA team arriving, and Bernard going into the Matrix. I am joined this week for my laboratory debriefing by Ringer Head of Production, which is a low-key way of saying she's our own Robert Ford. It's Juliet Littman. What's up? <laughs> and as always, it's sunup, and he's filling the furnaces. It's Danny Heifetz. How you doing, Danny? Hello, old friend. Thanks, man. Juliet. What's up? So happy a, to be here. This was a crazy... Thank you for coming, by the way. You got it. Um, this was a crazy episode. We all... Everybody's going nuts about the big ending, but we got everything in this episode. We got every character. This, this wasn't one where you only got two scenes that were just played out over an hour. We got... Like, there were so many big revelations. So let me just... Let me just let you do the hard work. What is your tweet-length review of Phase Space? Just because you know all the metaphors doesn't mean you need to use them. <laughs> that also could double for if uh, if this show was a character on The Real Housewives, that could also be like their tagline. Mm. <laughs> I like that a lot. That's really good. Thank you. This was a, yeah, there were a lot of metaphors in this episode. It, 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 I think because there were so many characters, and, and as Juliet was saying before we came on the air, everything was very linear uh, compared I'm, to most episodes. I'm relieved. I'm relieved to be here for a big Hemsworth episode because Luke yes. Hemsworth is important to me. And also because I was like pretty sure as I was watching, I was like, okay, cool, just two timelines this week. Yes, uh, well, uh, two timelines, but everybody got a scene. I mean, everybody got yeah. a, a part of the story. And so there's so many different storylines, even though they're all in the same story timeline yes so many storylines that are overlapping that it seemed like every scene was just a brief setup and then like a yanking the carpet out from under us or like a giant curtain getting pulled back i'm using all the metaphors i know right now <laughs> well you know how like in a musical at the end of act one there's usually a big ensemble number where ev- yes. everyone is singing and it advances the plot it also like hits an emotional register and kind of like brings everyone together like all the best musicals do this mm-hmm. this was episode six so it's like just over halfway yes and it kind of was it functioned very similarly to me this is what everything this season so far had been building up to yes uh if if we if it weren't evident just by the content of the episode i mean this the episode starts with uh, the the scene that we started the season with Dolores and Bernard or whoever we think that is in their little debriefing we'll get to that in a minute um, but yeah I mean there was a lot of big moments Danny do you have any off the top big big notes that we that we need that you want to get out there how are we, you feeling right now are you doing okay I would just say this is now lost with computers <laughs> like that's where we are right very now. lost like episode extremely. Um, yes. Uh, J.J. Abrams is, is, uh, twirling his mustache somewhere on a Hollywood lot not too far away. This is, this is, there's a, there was a lot of loss in here, but there. Wait, I, does J.J. Abrams have a mustache? No. No. Oh. That's okay. a metaphor. If, oh. if he did. I just want to say, I think J.J. Abrams gets too much credit for Lost and for Westworld. <laughs> like, <laughs> he is very important to both, and I love J.J. Oh, Abrams. Yeah, yeah. Felicity is one of my favorite television shows, but, like, he was definitely more involved with Felicity than he was with Westworld oh, or Lost. Listen, this might be the first time J.J. Abrams has been mentioned on this podcast. We don't we don't uh, okay. tout him too much, but only because he was involved with both. both I sure. think it's, it's, you know, it bears mention. But um, let's know what his text with Damon Lindelof is like, you know? <laughs> Just like, yeah, I'm getting it done? Yeah. Like, that kind of stuff? Yeah, it's probably true. All right. We've talked about some of the stuff that happened in this episode. We're going to talk about everything that matters in this episode. But before we get to that, here's everything that happened in this episode. We open where we opened the whole season, with Dolores and Bernard in a debriefing, except, just like I thought, it was Dolores leading the sesh and testing Bernard or Arnold for fidelity. But when is this? What are you testing for? Cut to Sweetwater, where Teddy finds Dolores playing piano among a bar full of bodies. Teddy has leveled up and has left his compassion behind, and he tells Dolores it's time to get moving, and he shoots a human hostage because, hey, why not? Dolores is startled. They get the train moving, and Teddy gives their lab tech buddy a gun and a bullet, and they disconnect his car, and it's heading full steam into the mesa with a train full of explosives. That's the last of my mercy. Stubbs and Charlotte have Peter Abernathy in the mesa, and they take him into a lab where they pull out their standard-issue Delos nail gun and nail him to a gurney. 
Now that they have Abernathy CPU in hand, the QA team finally arrives and Coughlin takes over, belittling Stubbs the whole way along. Coughlin's team gets the system partially back online, only to see, surprise, the train is steamrolling right in their direction. You were hired to secure an amusement park. Good luck on your next review, by the way. Back in Shogun World, after the carnage of last week's episode, Akane ceremonially cuts Sakura's heart out and wraps it in Maeve's sleeve. Thanks, Maeve. They leave the palace and find Tanaka, the Shogun's general, holding the rest of their crew hostage. But instead of Maeve using her black magic on them, Musashi challenges Tanaka to a sword fight for their freedom, which he wins, of course, by graphically chopping off his hand and then executing him. The crew goes to Snow Lake, where they lay Sakura's heart to rest and find the secret super slide into the underground lab. Sakura and Musashi stay behind, and Hanario, that's the badass with the dragon tattoo, goes with them. They get back in the Westworld garb and pop back up at Maeve's old homestead, where she finds her daughter, except, whoops, she has a new mom now. And then the Ghost Nation rides up, flashbacks of Maeve's flashbacks, and Akechta says, we're meant for the same path, and Maeve is like, nah. Hector and the others come to Maeve's rescue, while Sizemore calls for help. Can I help you? William, the man in black edition, is riding with his daughter Emily and Lawrence and the crew. They get ambushed by some hosts, and then later that night, William and Emily have it out at the fireside. Turns out she came to Westworld at Charlotte's invitation, but she skipped the gala to Chillax in Rajworld, which was always her favorite, even though her dad suspiciously doesn't quite remember it right. Now she's here because she doesn't want him to commit suicide by robot, but she does apologize for blaming her mom's suicide on him, and they agree to go to the beach together tomorrow to get out and let bygones be bygones. Except, yeah right, he ditches out on her in the middle of the night. Later, the man in black and his crew are attacked by the ghost nation. That means you and I are even. It'll be a good start. Bernard and Elsie, or Hale as the subtitles conspicuously call her, get to the Mesa where QA has killed the welcome team and find out that something in the cradle is fighting back against QA in the system. Th they go to the cradle where Bernard hooks up to the host Cerebro headset and goes into the system. Should they turn down his pain? No thanks, there's no time. Bernard wakes up in the train heading into Westworld just like Teddy used to do. He wanders down the main street in, in Sweetwater where he sees a conspicuous greyhound heading into the Mariposa. He follows it inside to find big reveal. Ford is sitting there playing the piano. Hello, old friend. Dun, dun, dun. You, oh, you right. rule at that. Thank you. There is a lot. There's a lot to cover. Um, we have so many big things to talk about this week. We'll try to get to everything here, but man, this is a lot of stuff. What are you most excited about? Like, I'm curious what you two aficionados thought was the biggest deal. Here's what I think. I'll give you my takeaway from the last, the, 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 the big reveal that is supposed to be the big reveal, which is Ford's back. Ford's back, everybody. Very strange to reveal him in a reflection. Uh, I get why they did it, again, metaphorically, and I get why they did the exact same, uh, you know, camera shot as Teddy walking up to Dolores earlier in the show. There's a lot of, there's a lot of like, you know, significance here. I, I guess for me... I got left with these like second degree questions, not too dissimilarly than the end of Solo, but I won't go into that now. <laughs> or I skip over the thing that's supposed to be impressive and or important, and I go my mind immediately in this case went to, oh, is this going to be a CGI Ford the whole season? Like, did they not pay to get him back, and they're only going to use this like CGI reflection of him? Is that a crazy question to be asking? No, because I assumed we would never see fully formed Ford. I thought that we saw his reflection because he is um the music now. Yeah, he's, like he's a spirit. He's not he's not a host. But there was a body there playing the piano. I've never once said this on this podcast, oh, no. but you are so overthinking this. The best part of this episode yeah. was Ford is back. Yeah. I don't care if it was in a reflection. He's back. He's in the show. This is the best thing ever. I mean, so I'm far, so excited. Uh, uh, William, Jimmy Simpson said that he wasn't coming back for the season. He was back in episode one, if I remember correctly. Yeah, they lie. They lie well, all the time. And we knew, that we, we knew that Ford would be back in some form or fashion. He was back as young Ford in the flashback episode. Uh, was that episode two? And so, we'll, I mean, we're going to see... Yeah, I think at risk, at risk of sounding um, dumb, <laughs> I actually are we sure that we're going to get a fully embodied Ford? No, because I think that if you go back and think about the previous episodes, every time William speaks to one of the kids and is like, like Robert, whatever you know, whatever he says and like acknowledges him, that would be um, counterintuitive against like a, a like a, a bodied Ford. Like it made it seem like his. Um, his control unit had like basically uh, 
like through osmosis or otherwise, yep. like infiltrated all these other hosts. So it actually would be really weird to me if we just if we, if he just if Anthony Hopkins is just back on the show. I don't think Anthony Hopkins is going to be back on the show. I think the question is whether or not within the cradle, which is the place that that uh, Bernard got to at the end of the mm-hmm. episode. I mean, I guess the cradle has multiple levels. They were physically in, in Bernard and Elsie were physically in the cradle. That was the, in room, the room that they yes. walked in, the red lit room that they walked into. But then the cradle, and it, it, technologically speaking, is this the sort of it's the matrix. Uh, it's the matrix. It's a program where hosts can like figure out can can go through every possible eventuality in their lives and figure out that they're bug that they're bug free. Right? It's like The Sims. Yeah. So the question is, I guess, does Ford? Are we going to see a fully embodied Ford hanging out in the in the Matrix? Is he just going to be there walking around with Bernard? But he's not in the real world now. He's the music, as he said he would be. I actually didn't even think of any of that. I interpreted that as like us seeing his reflection because that was supposed to mean that this isn't exactly the Ford that we know. Uh-huh. This is like a drag and drop. They transferred his copy. Yeah. It's like consciousness, but that this isn't exactly the same person. So I thought it was more of a metaphor. Like, maybe I'm wrong, and maybe we actually will just see him talking through various hosts, and it's his essence that will just exist. But I think that we will actually see the actor, Anthony Hopkins. He'll be in the cradle in the simulation, maybe not past this season. But I I think that that was more just metaphorical, that this isn't exactly him, and that we're seeing a reflection of him. Right. So the the big idea this week— is destinations, although maybe a better way to put it uh, is halfway points, because they a lot of people, a lot of the characters in the show got to where they were going, only to find out that there's a lot further to go. They were zigging, then they had to zag. Exactly. So Bernard got he he got to the he got he got inside the cradle. He figured out what the problem. I mean, what, what this this in this like subversive uh, force that's been fighting back against QA is everything at the heart of everything that's been going on in Westworld. It's Ford. He's still there. This is not the end of that story, obviously. Maeve got to her daughter, the place she's been trying to get to all season and a little bit of last season, um, only to find out that uh, it didn't quite go the way she imagined it was going to go. Dolores has a, a destination, which presumably will uh, she'll reach next episode, which is uh, to drive a train full of explosives <laughs> into the Mesa. Peter Abernathy re- reached his destination, maybe not the one he chose, but the one that, uh, that Charlotte Hale had in mind for him, which was... Uh, being nailed to a table uh, <laughs> so that um, the Delos Corp can get his internal CPU out of there. Um, I don't know. Like you said, Juliet, I think that the musical comparison was really dead on. We Thank this you. was this was everything was brought to an end. Um, if you had asked us, you know, in episode one, what we thought the end of the season was going to be, it might look a lot like this, but now we have a whole second half of the season to really get to where we're actually going. Which is exciting, which is cool. There was so much, so much action. Yeah. Maeve's stuff was the most fascinating and devastating. Yes. That part of the show is shot differently. Like, it's like when Mm. Maeve, everything related to Maeve and her daughter is like a Terrence Malick movie, and then everything else (laughs) is like a a TV show. (laughs) And it's, it's so, it's so moving. I mean, it's like also a credit to Andy Newton and everything. Yeah, no, I think that there's definitely something there. And this episode, more than all the other ones, that was sort of like tickling at my brain in a weird way. Yeah. When we ha- when Maeve encountered, okay, so just to get through the plot a little bit, Ma- Maeve and her team find her old homestead where her daughter is, only to find that they had put the daughter with a new mom, which of course they did. I mean, why not? Sort of weird. I mean, I guess there's probably a lot of these little homesteads out in Westworld that have been so far unaffected by the host uprising. I guess I don't really know, but um, that's a that's a good point though. Like, why aren't they rewired as well? Maybe they're just not. I mean, maybe they've they've been given this level of freedom, but they're not programmed to be evil in any way at all. Right. This is sort of like the Epcot Center part. I mean, this is like the kitty version of of. So I guess the Disneyland version. But like, <laughs> the, this is like you know, this is where we saw in season one where like parents bring their kids, right? You know, and you encounter some locals, and they're just like, "Hey, we're friendly." Yeah. Especially because you can see Maeve walked up to her daughter and her daughter's just like, I don't know who you are, but I'm just going to sit here and not be scared of you. Yeah. I think the destinations sort of theme uh-huh. that you that you are teasing out is really interesting because I, I think that is kind of um, the people who are most clearly like searching for a for an endpoint mm-hmm. are Grace slash Emily and um, William. And I think like what we started to learn last night is that the, even though Westworld is all about destinations, like what park are you going to? And like, mm-hmm. where did you leave all of your DNA or whatever? It's actually kind of like, this is really cheesy, but like 
the journey still matters, yes. basically. And that we're learning with William and Emily specifically that all of the details that are left out by focusing only on the destination and, like, the the end um, elides, like, all of the bad stuff that happens along the way yes. that makes you inevitably human and that a host can't nece- – the hosts are, like, trying to, like, cope with that idea. Yeah. Uh, I th- I'm, I now I want to jump back to what you were saying before about Maeve and the way it's shot. Oh. Her flashbacks occur in, in a way that we—I don't—I mean, Danny, correct me if I'm wrong. Who, who else do we get that sort of, like, like glossy slow-motion flashbacks with? Is there anybody else that those, has that sort of— Those kinds specifically, no one. So um, are, are we— They're also, like, a stark contrast to Bernard slash Arnold, who is, like, has these really jagged, quick, yes. staccato, like, yeah. flashbacks. So, I, I mean, I guess here's what I wonder. There's— we're going to talk about the Ghost Nation in depth, and I'm sure for the rest of this, this episode and for every episode to come. But in the same way that, like, you know, Bernard Bernard was given Arnold's backstory, all these people have backstories, and the backstory that they have, that a host has a backstory, doesn't mean that they ever lived out that moment, right? So, I th- I mean, it's feeling to me like what Maeve is experiencing, Maeve is having flashbacks to her backstory, not to a thing that actually happened. In season one, when she has all the flashbacks to the Ghost Nation attacking her, Nothing really happens. The, the only bad thing that happens is when the man in black somehow phases in in place of the ghost nation and kills her. Well, sort of kills her. But <laughs> um, but the ghost nation stuff seems sort of like a block she's got to get past because as we've seen in this episode, the ghost nation wants to be your buddy. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Both of you? Is it possible that she took on the memories of the mom of the kid that we saw in that episode because we know that she's able to... Um, like rifle through the the backstories of other characters. Well, yeah, but she's had these flashbacks before. Right. I think that there's something definitely to that that she's like emotionally available. Available. That's the wrong way to put it. But she's like, <laughs> Who if, is she it? Was, if she was, pre, yes, if she was like pre empathetic or tele tele whatever the telepathic version of empathy is, mm-hmm. then she could take all of those sort of emotions in from other sources. Well, I think that I think she. The woman we saw there on the homestead, the new mom, was kind of her replacement, kind of like you saw Clementine was replaced by Uh other Clementine. But I think that with Maeve specifically, we see those flashbacks are so idealized, but the juxtaposition of her memories versus the reality. In the memory, she has her hands running through this beautiful, like, grass fields, like, green. And then in Mm -hmm. reality, it's like on this beautiful, sunny, blue sky day. And in reality, the grass is all dead. It's an overcast gray day. In the memory, she's wearing this white, this pure, this, like, Mm -hmm. very ideal thing. In this one, she's wearing... Uh, a white top but with a black overcoat so she's got that kind of like white idealness inside but it's covered by black so she's actually like William the one approaching this homestead in black so she kind of it's almost it reminded me actually of the movie Looper mm. in that she's going back trying yeah. to capture this old past thing but she ends up setting off this whole cycle and really kind of brings about her own demons in a way yeah I mean it sort of it says a lot about her but also as us as the viewers that I, I mean I'm sure people all over Reddit talked about this but like of course she has a new of course the kid has a new mom what was she just doing out there I'm not sure why I, we talked about this for a second before we started recording, Danny. I'm not sure why they had to go through Shogun World to get to just another spot in Westworld. I think that's, that was, that's where the slide was or whatever. Yeah. Like they had to like they were venturing to find the daughter the whole time and they got lost and somehow ended up in a totally different park. My understanding is that's literally like Bugs Bunny. They took a wrong turn in Albuquerque. And they just like ended up. And like, they oh, got, we're in Shogun World. And, and, that was and that. Shogun World because like the borders are all kind of hazy now because of the rebellion. The the, the yeah. samurais came and took them. Yeah, yeah. genres right. are permeable now. But you're the one thing you brought up about destinations, and I think that you're totally on Juliet about destinations and the importance of the journey. But the other thing I think that's interesting here is what happens when you get to the destination yeah. and what's there. So, for example, when at the last scene. Bernard sees the dog, and that leads him to Ford. And so that dog is actually, it's the host dog that Ford had when he was a kid, and Arnold made him the dog. And uh, Ford tells that story in season one about the dog, which is basically, it's like the Joker in the Dark Knight, and it's this whole story that is like, what happens when the dog catches the car? And the dog was confused what to do when it finally caught this rabbit and didn't yeah. know what to do. So the, I, I, and, I have the quote right here. It's uh, This is Ford t- told the story in day one. He wanted a dog his whole life. His dad bought him a do- a gra- an old greyhound, and he said... A greyhound is a racing dog, spends its life running in circles, chasing a bit of felt made up like a rabbit. One day we took our greyhound to the park. Our dad warned us how fast the dog was, but we couldn't resist. So my brother took off the leash. 
And in that instant, the dog spotted a cat. I imagine it must have looked like that piece of felt. He ran, never saw a thing as beautiful as that old dog running, until at last he finally caught it. And to the horror of everyone, he killed the little cat, tore it to pieces. Then he just sat there confused. The dog had spent its whole life trying to catch that thing. Now it had no idea what to do. And I think that aptly applies to a lot of the characters in here. Maeve spent, since we have known her, she's all she's wanted is to find her daughter. And now she's find her, found her daughter, and <laughs> her daughter was fine. She doesn't know what to do. And she doesn't know what to do now. I think that's a lot of the characters. And she brought the, she brought the terror into her daughter's life. Yeah. This nation <laughs> followed her there. They weren't just there, like, trying to, like, I mean, they could attack them any other day. Um. So yeah, there was uh, it's, yes, there was a lot of getting to where you thought you were going to get, or the thought thought you wanted to get, and realizing um, it wasn't what you wanted it to be. What about Emily and William, her father, the man in black, William? Um, that was pretty straightforward. She said that uh, that she, you know, was there at the invitation of Charlotte Hale. Like Charlotte was like, "Come to our fancy gala," and she was like, "I'll take your ticket, but I'm not going to the dance." And she went and hung out in Raj World. And now she, after the rebellion, she realized everything was going wrong, and she was like, I know what my dad's going to do, so I'm going to go find him and stop him and make amends with him. Is that all right? What a what a masterclass in exposition that Emily is. <laughs> <laughs> she really, she just gets into it. She reminds me of a combination of Arya Greyjoy and Becky the Icebox from Little Giants. <laughs> and I kind of like can't see outside of that. I really I really like her though. She's one of my favorite characters. She's plucky. It's all I think that my hopes for her were so high because you get in this like the second season of a show like this, you realize you got a little room to play around and maybe there's like you have your pick of all the actors in the world and you have your you have space to really tease out characters because you know the show's not going to end in 3 episodes. But she's become. But but it turns out she is a very like functional cog in this story so far. Yeah. So, Danny, perhaps you want to introduce it, but I, I would like to discuss the theory. Are we allowed to get into theories now? Yeah, absolutely. Always of, is is the William we saw in episode six a host mm. and it and like that to me is really important because she was introduced to us as kind of being like. Um, the host, like, she can, like, sniff him out when she shot the guy to see, like, before she slept with him or whatever. And so if that's, like, if, like, her principal preoccupation is, like, figuring out who's a host and she can't tell that her father is one, then what are we supposed to do with her? So I got to this question at the tail end of our our Tinfoil Tuesdays episode last week, right? Where we were just, like, Danny and Mike and I were chatting and I all of a sudden was just, and I don't, my only exposure to Reddit for the most part is through Danny Heifetz. Mm Mm-hmm. This week I looked because I was watching the show in real time and it was great. Um, but I was so I just sort of came to this like, wait, what if what if William has been the host all along? What if they and they've been updating him to make him look older just because they have to make him seem real and all this kind of or maybe became a host later on? Who knows? Um, so then of course when he was having his talk when he was talking to Emily and she was like, Raj World was always my favorite, and he was like, oh, I remember you were so scared of the elephants and. And she said, no, I love the elephants. Mom was scared of the elephants. Has a really profound line there to follow. But William had this gl- this glimmer of confusion in his eye because he didn't know how he could have gotten that wrong. Is that what that's telling us, Danny? Yes. <laughs> no, he's, he's a host. I, it's not his <laughs> only mistake as I, well. Sorry? It wasn't his only mistake. Well, right. Th- that's – I feel strongly about this now because, I mean, so – of every human character, I mean, we give out the the this maze was not meant for your award every week, like the dumbest human character. William is consistently the smartest human on the show, and like almost everything he does is the shrewdest, the sharpest. He's the quickest. He's the wittiest. And in this episode, he just seemed confused all the time. He honestly, it, the the relationship. If this wasn't Westworld, and you just show these scenes to someone who had no idea, they would have assumed that this was someone who had. Memory issues. Like, he really just was confused. So, okay. And it was jarring. And I think, I, I feel strongly about the theory we discussed, which you can go into more if you want about why I think that. But I think that the reason he was so confused is because, kind of like James Delos and his little, like, running mm-hmm. through the loop there, it's when he's exposed to not just a loved one, but new information uh, from that loved one that kind of changes their set parameters yeah. that they really get confused and thrown off track. So when you, if he it's is like a host. like having dementia. Yeah, uh-huh. no, really. Yeah. It, exactly it. So, 
But I think, I mean, just sorry to jump in, but I think the, the surface reading of, of William Mann in Black in this episode is dementia, right? Or is it not, he, or that he's just losing a step? Because it wasn't just that he, for, he didn't just forget about his daughter when she was a kid. That was a long time ago. But he also didn't notice that the arrows weren't Ghost Nation arrows. His daughter had to point that out. Um, he got ambushed. He never, he got ambushed twice, basically. And that never happens to him. Um, they even messed around with his voice. I'm like pretty confident yeah. that they mixed his voice there differently. There was also no reference to the game or like he didn't reference. Like Ford was very so, present, but not from him. And William has been the main like kind of Ford carrying But I think this bearer. all ties into the conversation about sort of halfway points instead of destinations because he wasn't the only, if he's a host, who knows? He wasn't the only host to to make a mistake. And we think of like the hosts of robots of being the sort of like, like agnostic, fl- like faultless, you know, clear-minded. That's the the concept of a robot, right? That they would sure. just make like the best decisions, um, even if it's like not the most emotional ones. But Maeve made a huge mistake this episode by not foreseeing that this could be the situation with her daughter. Dolores made a huge mistake because she was clearly surprised by what she'd turned Teddy into, even though that was her plan the whole time. Maybe there's some, may- maybe one of the big ideas that we're going to be getting at is that Hosts are fallible too, but that fallibility is what actually makes them human, right? Hosts, ha- hosts have also a lack of experience that, yes. that humans don't. And so I think that's also kind of what we're seeing with some of these hosts is they're given all the control or they're they're finally like empowered and sentient and everything, sentient. And uh, there's limits to that when you kind of just like awake to it instead of growing into it like a human. We've, we've gotten through most of the big idea, and we got to get to the big questions. But before we get away from this idea, before we get away from destinations, we mentioned that Peter Abernathy's current destination for the foreseeable future is being nailed to a gurney. We can't talk about this episode and all of the uh, hitch-over-the-head metaphors within it without talking about Abernathy's... Uh, well, I mean, at least they crucifixion. Didn't, at least they didn't splay his arms out. At least <laughs> they didn't say we've got these special Delos style cross shaped gurneys that we have to stick them to. Is there any other way to read this except that like uh, Peter Abernathy is the the you know one full of the true word that will die for the sins of all the hosts or what is that, what, what am I supposed to be saying here? There's no way to see it except as like a Jesus metaphor. Yeah. However, when you s- start to pull back the layers and really suss out what they're trying to say. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Because the other like part of the Jesus stuff, and this is how it's confusing to me, is that Elsie kept saying that she was able to see like the messages, but she couldn't see where they are coming from. So she she was privy to the messages, but not to the messenger, right? And so does that mean that actually um Peter Abernathy is like some kind of messenger and like we're giving Ford too much agency? Like it almost seems like whereas the beginning of the season, the the like the yin and the yang, the good and the evil were uh, Dolores and Maeve. Now it's almost like is there some kind of binary between Peter Abernathy and Ford, and like what yeah. what Abernathy is holding versus what Ford is holding? It's, and it's very unclear as to whether or not, uh, and we we can't really parse this out. Is Abernathy going to be a player in this season, or is he just a, a main pawn. cast MacGuffin? Yeah, I mean, is that is is it gonna? Is is, any, is he going to do anything, or is he just representative of something? I think you could have called him a MacGuffin until this week, because either they made a gross miscalculation, but if they didn't, that's some really powerful imagery to throw out there. And in a show that is very, like, steep with biblical references, to, to go the nailing someone to something thing, like— that's really some deep stuff. Julia, so, I don't know if you listen to the show, but every week— Dan- I do, of I tr- course. <laughs> every week, Danny—and Danny, Danny tri- I mean, and, so, and whether or not you listen to this, it probably doesn't matter, because every week Danny monologues about about Adam and Eve theory, mm. and we cut it out of the out show just, to, just because it's funny. But last week, I don't know if we gave him his full props. <laughs> I mean, Dolores gave the fruit of the tree of knowledge to Teddy— I mean, it was a straight-up Garden of Eden situation. I, I Maybe people now, would have saw they, it coming if I hadn't. And, and now they've been forced to leave, or forced, whether or not they have, they're, they are forcibly expelling themselves from the garden in an explosive train yeah. right into the mesa. But to, to the Abernathy thing real quick, if we just throw away everything that you and I have thought about what's in him, which is, oh, well, we thought it was the data, Facebook, Cambridge Analytica stuff, and then I was really confident it's James Delos. If they didn't, overstep and that this really is as important as the Jesus figure. The only thing I think could justify that is if actually the thing in his head is actually Arnold's consciousness. That's the only thing I could think of that would justify being nailed to a 
cross, basically, which is what happened. It seems weird to do it in reverse order, but I, I'm, I follow you. I think I think that that's I think that you're probably right. Very strange. I, yeah, it was it was weird. I just have one other big idea to throw at you guys. Do it. They really made James Marsden more attractive now that he's a bad guy. He's yeah. so much hotter. He's so much hotter. <laughs> he's so much it's hotter. actually insane. They changed. <laughs> there's like tweaks to his aesthetic, and I'm just like, this is ridiculous. And also, it makes me mad. Yeah, he was a lot more of him. I mean, I don't. I, I'm just. This is off the top of my head. I have to go back through and look at. But but I feel like in, in previous episodes, there's a lot of him looking up and sort of like he was sort of like pleading to the sky. And in yeah. this, he had the sort of George Clooney like my chin is attached to my yes, chest. Yes, he was lit differently. Yeah, he was like he was backlit and instead of like the sun being on his face. Yeah. and he and all of the angles were like he was looking down on someone instead of him being on the ground like when he's been shot so many times. It's insane. Like it's such like a, he, a mean thing to do to just to people yeah. to make him like hotter now that he's a bad person. Yeah. Yes. He was a nice guy, and now he's the guy you're not supposed to worry and about. And in some ways, he gets like he shot that human, and that was that was a big moment. But also, it was like but he looks great while doing it. Yeah, no, but, <laughs> but and, and also he's just sort of got it figured out. Like Dolores is Dolores is sort of doing the man in black thing of trying to like figure out the game, like figure like figure out his her journey. And I think Teddy's kind of got it right that it's just like no, you just put one foot in front of the other, and we're we'll we'll get there. Actually, one other question about Teddy for you guys. Is it weird that he remembers her changing his personality? Yeah, I didn't expect that. Yeah. I thought that this, this that is, had some problematic continuity. Well, no, I mean, it, it happened. Pieces. And even Dolores, who's now, you know, maxed out attributes, remembers her dad and all the stories about the cattle and right. stuff like that. I think that— um, But she was not witness to the changing of her personality in the same way. It's It's strange. Although— her big moment of awakening would have been last season's finale, right? When she was in the in the lab with Bernard and Ford, and so I mean, she I'm sure she remembers that. I but I take what you're saying that like it all, you should almost sort of blank out for that, and everything else would be that came before is just hazy memory. Yeah, because it's like if you had a personality transplant, it would be hard to remember what you were like before. And this impl- and I thought the implication was that he, well, he he was trying to leave it behind. You know, he she would bring it up and he would just be like, Yeah, that's not like, yeah, that happened. Let's just move ahead. Right. I just think it would be hard to remember. I think it's hard for him to come to grips with it. I think that's that's clear yeah. as he's doing it. All right. There's so much to talk about. Let's move on to the big questions. I'm gonna run through some and we can spend as much or as little time on these as you want to. Ford, our guy Robert Ford, has fulfilled his own destiny by becoming the music. We talked about him before. Is there anything else we need to get at? What is he doing in the cradle? Like, literally, Danny Heifetz, what is Ford doing right now? I think he's the Holy Ghost. All right, let's go. That, Expl- uh, explain. <laughs> explain. Um, put, this in, put this in human terms. Arnold is God. Arnold's consciousness has been in Bernard. Bernard's a Jesus-like figure. And Ford is the Holy Ghost, this inexplicable, omnipresent, non-existent force thing. That, as Elsie said, is it's fight. she said the cradle's fighting back. But that means Ford is fighting back. We'll get That's to Elsie a little. Is. Yeah, the data is attacking and us. Your data is trying to kill us. And he's trying to get this species, these hosts, to actually be a viable um, race, to actually overcome humans, because Ford has been very explicit in saying that humans kill other species. He has referenced, he said, you know what happened to the Neanderthals? We ate them. Like, he has been so explicitly, like, like anti-humans. That that's it's he thinks of it as a war. I want to put a pin in humans kill other species, but let's but just I and I and I, and I, I think I agree with everything you're saying as as much as it uh, hurts me to say so. But the, <laughs> but specifically, he has he human Ford is dead. Now he exists as the ghost or the ghost in the machine or the Holy Ghost or whatever else. He's hanging out in the cradle and fighting back against Delos QA, all the people that are trying to take over the system. What, is there any more to that that we know? I mean, is he, is he all, so all is he's he doing? So like, is he like malware? Like, is he like, <laughs> yeah. like well, basically, okay, a, good, yes. he, he's like. Yeah, or he's the, he's the, yeah. I mean, I don't know if he's mal, malware. He's like the original, he's sort of like the OG in there. But he's, but yeah, that's what he's doing. He's, he's fighting back against the attempts to like, to debug it. Sure. Because he's the bug. I mean, it's his narrative. Or that's what Delos would say. There is this sort of feeling, they say at some point in the show that like, they would never destroy the cradle because it's too important to the to Westworld. Like all of the host minds are in there. Like all that's the IP is living in the cradle. Yeah, it's right. their servers. It's a glorified. It's a very literally in the HBO video they posted afterward. They were like, it's a server room, but we didn't. We thought it was a really boring room, so we made it red and filled it with water. So they right. So they they uh, maybe don't post those videos, HBO. <laughs> <laughs> 
so ho- so Ford is but so Ford is safe there in some sense because he knows that they won't destroy it. They can't afford to destroy that of all things. That's why he's using that as his as his shelter. That's literally the value of the company as that room. Maybe is that true though? But is plus Abernathy. So what's in plus, Abernathy? Yeah, because of Abernathy. Yeah. We don't know what's in Abernathy, and so the, I mean, maybe the question, may, maybe the theory that Abernathy is the, you know, the guests information more so than the host information has some validity to keep those things separate who knows i think the thick scottish accents of those rescue workers this uh-huh. week was a strong indication that it's james delos and peter abernathy just gonna throw that out there. Ah, that's very interesting i will just float this theory and we can we can save this for next week i mean for n- later this week but um is it possible that ford as we've seen as, as he alluded to at the at, at last season's finale is sort of taken on arnold's initial task of trying to make the host alive and that the one thing that Arnold couldn't pull off was shutting down the park by committing that he tried with the massacre didn't work maybe now he maybe now he realizes that the only way to save all the hosts in the way that Arnold wanted to is to get them to destroy the cradle get Delos to destroy the cradle and if he's hiding in there then they're going to have to do that eventually anyway we'll get back to that you said that what Ford doesn't like about humans is that they kill people, right? I mean, that's one of the one of the things he comes to a lot. Humans kill some a group of people that are conspicuously not killing anybody this season, despite as as scary as they may seem every time they appear is Ghost Nation. So this is my second big question of the week: What is Ghost Nation doing? <laughs> what is Ghost Nation's plan, and how does it line up with Maeve's journey? As Akechta says, Juliet, I don't. Really know? We don't know. Yeah, this is all theory right now. I don't. Is it possible those are humans? That's a that is a theory. There's something different about them for sure. I think we've we've talked about this before, but basically, season one was supposed to be much more have heavier themes of of the Native American hosts and Ghost Nation and what the actual um, the meeting and their religion actually means to the grander plot, and then there's, um, unfortunately, one of the actors died, and they had to rewrite a lot of things. There's a, char- that, there's a character in the, was it episode one, Kissy, named Kissy, Kissy from the first, who's, who was a car dealer, and the, he was the first guy that Man in Black right. comes in and scalps and drains his blood. And all so and there, there's a lot of things that the showrunners have intentionally kept from us because it is a key, it is key to the plot of the show. So whatever the reason is that the all the Ghost Nation and Native American hosts have the maze printed on their freaking, like, inside their, like, scalps. And, like, and that Delos doesn't know about it. And they don't know about it. Like, there's all these weird things that they're, we're giving us breadcrumbs—sorry, they're giving us breadcrumbs. We don't know whatever, like, that loaf is it's coming from, but, like, it is crucial, and they're probably the last nugget we actually need to put all the threads together, and we will get that last. I think one theory that I like uh, is that they're actually protecting humans now. Right. I mean, we've seen this, right? They— Captured Stubbs last season, seemingly, and in retrospect, maybe it was just to keep him out of the uprising, to keep him away, because they knew that was happening. Now, for them to have Ford knowledge of that, you would have to sort of posit that they are working on behalf of Ford somehow. But they clearly captured, they rounded up a bunch of the Delos crew, we saw that earlier this season, and then didn't kill them, sort of like, kind of kept them protected until they could be released onto the beach, I guess. So it seems like they're working, they're serving this sort of like protective role, protector role. They're also like, they're circling Emily and William more than, and Maeve, I guess, more than anyone else. So maybe there's also something to the um, idea of like family that they they are tied into because like they are, Mm. they are more tied to the characters that are invested in some sort of like familial ties than, than the other ones. I don't know, just thinking aloud here. Also, quite frankly, it's 2018, and if you're going to do an updated Western and they portray them as savages for a season, for season and a half, they're going to pivot and make them yeah. a yeah. moral center of oh, compared I, to the yeah, other absolutely. It just has to happen. I, th- I wonder if – uh, yeah, I think that's true. I, I well, want, Go they, ahead. They also seem to appear at moments where there could be like some other kind of intervention. Mm-hmm. Like something else could happen, but they – like they um, appear when Sizemore calls for help, right? Which, by the way, do we know that he could do that? He picked up that phone in um, Shogun World, that radio, conveniently. But they were already attacking, I think, when he called. Right, but but I'm just—right, that he was. But, like, they sort of are like—they're like a counterforce to whatever else is happening. Well, they also tried to take—they tried to abduct Sizemore earlier from Maeve, earlier in the season. And now I wonder if it's just part of—that was part—it wasn't because Sizemore knew stuff or they weren't—it's because they were just rounding up humans to try to protect them or do whatever. They were just, like, going after everybody. That's—that is sort of, like, the the through line— 
So what is Maeve's what is Maeve's journey in this? Then and how could that line up with what Akechda says? Like Maeve is what Maeve is finding is is seeking consciousness, seeking the center of the maze, seeking seeking what 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 could what are, what is their what does their journey have in common? Well, it's funny you say that because I thought that the place that her and her daughter tripped. Maybe I'm wrong. I thought that that was they fell right where the center of the maze appeared to in William. Season and one. I thought that was the same spot actually. Sure. I think that she caught the car. And she, like, found her daughter and that she definitely realizes that she's created some of the problems that she was intending to stop. So I imagine that I think Ghost Nation in in this – obviously Maeve has some reckoning to do with her fear of Ghost Nation and all these things. And I think that Ghost Nation there is probably a fear of the unknown to some some degree and that she obviously has to reconcile with that. But also, like, can you hurt loved ones by trying to protect them too much and – yeah. Maeve has now been exposed to the, like, redundancies and lack of imagination more than any other character. Like, she saw it last week with Shogun World when there was, like, the big, like, oh, shit, this is the same. Yeah. And then she saw it with when she was replaced by another woman yes. with, sim- with similar hair. And it seems like her her path is about um, reckoning with sort of what it means to be interchangeable, almost. Yeah. Because no one else is really com- confronting that in the same way, even if it is true. And even if— um, like you can move around consciousness and you know your control unit can move from host to host. Maeve is having to confront the um lack of imagination more than just sort of like the practicalities of how the hosts work. And it's almost like she she is is like the viewer having to deal with like the existential crisis yes. of understanding like what is cruel about this that's outside of like any violence. Like she's much more of the avatar of like emotional violence than anything else. Like and I think and, and, you know, she, it was implied, for maybe this is, like, totally off base, because I've all many of the hosts were essentially raped. But, like, Maeve is more of, a like, a survivor to me than mm-hmm. anyone else is. And she now, I feel like, going forward, has to reckon with, like I said, like, reckon with all of that. Sure, her backstory, like we talked about before, the, all the memories of Ghost Nation, whatever, that was one of survival. The one thing that we know concretely that happened to her is that, when William the Man in Black decided, returned to the park after his wife died, I believe, and yeah. decided yeah. he wanted to figure out if he could be the black hat, if he if he could find that evil inside of himself, he did it by, he found Maeve and her daughter and murdered them, like yeah. that, to see if he could do it. So yeah, she survived, I mean, and then she literally survived that, he thought he killed her, and then she stood up and carried her child away, and then died in the maze, or collapsed into the maze. Um, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot there with William having his his wife die and then mm-hmm. like basically his daughter would come dead to him because he didn't see her and then seeking out Maeve and her daughter and killing them like there's and, a there's a that's a very rich sure um, again and, and, and again to, that's like also like kind of like replacement level like what are yeah. we talking about here well yeah and, and you can also look at I mean this is I'm just like spitballing but the you know the Jim Delos host the, that was the that was William's you know doing or he was running that show and it was a, a series of replacements right every time there was a problem they set it on fire mm-hmm. the flip side is what Ford was doing if if we want to take it you know for granted for a second that Bernard is either trying to achieve consciousness or is in fact Arnold trying to become Arnold that Ford's version I mean Ford's philosophy was you have one consciousness you have one version and you just keep letting it play out and fail over and over again but you're not setting everything on fire every time right you got to you yeah. have to it's an accumulation of pain and time and everything else that allows this consciousness yeah and mistakes anyway um, <laughs> that's a big anyway <laughs> that's a big anyway we'll get to that anyway next week um, no but we have a couple more things to get to um, we were going to play we were going to play my favorite game which is who's a host but i feel like we've gotten to all of that this time well we didn't get to bernard bernardold Get to them later. That's the last question I want to get to. Okay. Bernard and Elsie's scenes were, they weren't quite as trying as Teddy and Dolores last episode, where it was like they were just almost messing with us with the with the slowness of everything. Shannon Woodward got the Ross deal. By she far did. the worst character. She on the did. Show. <laughs> and she's gonna be in the running for Dumbest Human Award this week, and it's not her fault. You know, if this is a it was a weird, like you can only look into a glass-eyed host's face so many times and say, what are you thinking? What's going on inside that head of yours before you just come off as a dope? But I mentioned this in the synopsis. It must be said that she was identified by the subtitles throughout the episode as Hale, which is Charlotte's last name. Mm. That could be a mistake. I don't think they make mistakes. 
They, That's a big one. It would require the people subtitling the show to not know the name of a character. It w- it's a, you can you can make the you can draw the line that like her last Elsie's last name is Hughes Hughes and Hale. I get what that can but her, she would be Elsie. She wouldn't even be Hughes. You know, there's not previously she was Elsie when she's on the show. Yeah. They subtitle yeah. her as Elsie. So the the giant cloud hanging over that as a result of that Take is, it. are those scenes real or is Bernard? being triggered in some way to have those memories, but it's actually Hale's voice talking to him in, in kind of the same way we saw. This has happened before, so if you remember in season one, at one point, Bernard's like video chatting with his wife. Turns oh, out that I that's, remember because yeah. that's Gina Torres and I love her. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And like one that, of the greats. And like plot twist, that wasn't her. That was a conversation with right. Ford. And if you actually pause the, she crackles at one point, the screen, and it's Ford's face. And basically that's what's happening. He thinks this is Elsie, He's talking to Hale. They're in the Mesa. They're in the cradle so, somewhere. Does that speak and, to like a level of guilt? Because obviously he left Gina Torre, He left his wife. And then he also bashed Elsie over the head. So does that speak to like some kind of guilt that, one that of the allows big, him to see that or something? If my theory, I mean, not my theory, if what I said before in the show that like Ford is somehow working through Ghost Nation to try to save the remaining humans on the island, which is all kinds of co- complicated, conflicted. But if that's true... It makes a little bit more sense why Ford didn't just kill Elsie at last season and left her chained to a rock. But what Juliet is saying actually makes a lot more sense, which is that there that Elsie might is just dead and she's part of this loop. Mm. Right? I actually think Elsie is I'm doubling down on what I said like five weeks ago. Elsie is in fact still with Ghost okay, Nation. Okay, that's fine. But like this is not Elsie that we're seeing right now. Is no, yeah, she, I don't think she I also looks different than last season. Her hair's a yeah. little bit different, it's a little sleeker. So the, so the idea would basically be yes. Yeah, so the idea would basically be that when th- this is this is the only episode, uh, as you said before, with mo- that's almost entirely in one timeline. Except if this theory is correct, all of Bernard and Elsie scenes are happening in the most present tense of the timelines, and this is Charlotte disguised, however, technologically as Elsie, as Elsie trying to loop Bernard back through over and over again to get him to go into the cradle and see and see what's going on. So my my one question about that, though, is there's like the, they're in the Mesa and there's like the the big bang or mm-hmm. whatever. And that's presumably the part of the train that that they let go. Yeah. And so. What what's the experience that he's have? Is it just like he is a week? He just is there. And he thinks he's seeing something else while that that's, that train runs into the Mesa, basically? No, I think that was a memory. That okay. happened, but it was, it's a memory of some sort. Got it. And so, so, so the Charlotte Hale that also we saw last night is previous to the Hale that we saw in, like, episode two, three, when, yes. she, when yeah. she's in, when they were on the drones. Yeah, that, all, all those scenes are, almost every scene we saw last night was, I think they said, just under a week. So probably, like, six days after the massacre. right. Uh, and all those things happened, but that Elsie Bernard thing is a memory being triggered by Hale a week later, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That makes perfect sense. And it, yeah. All right. <laughs> Does. But Great job. If there's one thing that, like, if, if you're on the fence about this, the strongest piece of evidence I've heard is imagine you're the Westworld makeup department, and you get the care. Okay, let's see here. Elsie has been in a cave for, like, four or five days and has a bucket and— like protein bars and ketchup packets and what are we going to make her look like? And then you cut to like the first thing we see of her. Her makeup's perfect. Her hair look, looks like she just got her hair, hair done. Mm-hmm. All her clothes are perfectly spotless. And like if you just think about it from that angle, like either the makeup team should be fired or like that's just – it's it's not her. Her her hair is noticeably shiny like Kate Middleton yeah. style. <laughs> so I was like, wow, her hair looks great last night. So. Huh. All right. Um, well, we'll figure out what's going on with that. I think as Will the show we? goes on. Um, well, we can't we can't figure it out sitting here right now, I guess. But we have to get to our awards. First, uh, the biggest, most shocking reveal of the week. We got a lot, but it has to be that Ford's alive, right? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I think the um, the emotional surprise of Maeve finding out there's another woman stand as as the mother of her daughter. Yeah. I think is for me much more emotionally resonant. And also, Andy Newton is an excellent actress, so she she sold it well. I mean, I think if we get more hints next week, if if it gets more or less confirmed in the coming weeks that the man in black, William, is a host, then this was the moment that that happened, you know, and that and that will end up maybe being an even bigger deal. Yeah, I don't well, know. To Juliet's point, I think one of the main criticisms of the show is, you know, you can't have a show that's a show that's all plot. You do need some actual emotional resonance. And we knew that Maeve was going to reunite with her, her daughter at some point, but like the emotional gravity of that, like it lives up to it. I was like. 
te- like it was like supposed to be nice, but I just knew something bad was going to happen, and yeah. I was like on edge. She's a fantastic actress, and I actually think that like one of the best things about season two is that because it's so much less like sexualized, the performances really stand out a lot more, oh, yeah. and there's like a lot less distraction of like naked bodies and. <coughs> um, Thandie Newton's just really impressive. She's really good. I said this at the very beginning of the season, I think, that, like, season, this is where we really get to see what all of these great actors signed on for. Yeah. Yes. Like, of course you say yes to an HBO prestige show or whatever, so, you know, that, that has the vibe to be this level of culturally resonant, but, like, you know, if you're if you're Evan Rachel Wood, if you're Tandy Newton, like, this was the season you wanted to act. Yeah. This is what you were excited about. Yeah. Dolores has become so flat to me, though, that I, you know, she just is very, which maybe is also intentional and, like, speaks to who she is as a host, but, like, just her drive for vengeance is very, like, villain, just a simple villain. Yeah, her excitement came very early in the season, and then also getting to play out in the real world and sort of in those crazy flashbacks and stuff, but I think there's a lot more of her to come. I don't know. Did we see anything exciting about you were talking about Dolores as we were walking in here, Danny? Yeah, I should apologize to you a little bit. Um, I've made comments to you on this pod and behind your back about how oh, silly like how silly I think it is that you don't think Dolores is fully conscious yet and I've just like just been very upset with you that you haven't believed this and <laughs> this week I was a little bit rattled because the there was a direct mirror of when Teddy walks in and Dolores playing the piano and any and then the whole premise of the show is like the, the piano doesn't need a player so anytime there's right. a, a character playing the piano it's a huge deal Teddy walks in and Dolores is playing the exact same camera shot and the exact same – the scene is filmed the same way as when Bernard walks in on Ford. And I – my first thought was that maybe Ford actually has been pulling the strings on Dolores this whole time and that actually maybe Dolores thinks she's conscious. But like Maeve in the first season actually is just kind of programmed to be this way but actually is not actually awake and that freaked me out. And there's no better proof of that than the first scene when Dolores is like – training Bernard slash Arnold and we don't know what's happening there like that's more likely to be Ford yeah. using Dolores than it is to be Dolores as like a, a woke robot and in that scene if I can get my my biblical thing which maybe will be edited out uh, in that <laughs> scene Dolores's dress the hem of it the back is wet just like the back six inches like is wet maybe from crossing after she splits the sea and crosses oh, okay. well, down yeah, the we'll, middle. We'll get there. We'll Honestly, get there. I thought you were going to say from coming from the cradle. You just told me it's filled with water. Oh, okay. Well, my real theory is that I think that that sea is like in the simulation and that the cradle breaks and there's water. So like that's just kind of made up in Bernard's head. But that's a whole other. All right. We got to keep moving on. <laughs> um, we should have a separate category that's just pedantic questions of the week where I where we just ask like, why did they have to go to Shogun World? Or just why to be did clear, Sakura have a heart? That was disgusting. They have all why these did they make actual hearts? Stuff. Why didn't Maeve? It, did Maeve not bring not offer to bring Sakura back to life because she thinks that death is part of the choices that we make or whatever that she said? I think that is part of it. Yeah. Can Maeve bring people back to life? Well, they she knows that Sizemore can bring people back to life. Can they? I mean, they, all they have to do is reboot the host. Yeah. Oh. Well, they don't have the like iPad. Hector earlier in the season got shot like 50 times, and they were like, now nah, you're fine. All you have to do is just not just not flip the switch that says you're dead now. I think, I think part of why she didn't do that is because, like, the bond between Akana and Maeve is yeah. mother to mother. So I think that to Maeve, just replacing Sakura with another host and programming her would would be, like— counter to everything she believes in and is pursuing on, on her journey. I think that that's right. And that leads right into our next category for, uh, I mean, potentially, depends on what you pick, for best quote of the week. Juliet, do you want to go first? Sure. You know, I'm really on board with Emily, and I, I loved how she spoke to her father. And she said, oh, I've always seen the appeal of it. Life without consequences, that's what made it so fun when I was a kid. And that's why it's so sad that you're still obsessed with it now. Yeah. That was really good. That is really goes beyond just Westworld and uh, is, is deep. She's just getting at some real arrested development, you know? Absolutely true. Danny? In the opening scene, when Dolores just, like, corrects him, um, Bernard, and just, like, shuts him down and says, no, he didn't say that. He said, I'm not sure what choice to make. Or, sorry, no, he didn't say that. He didn't question whether or not he had agency, whether or not he had the right to end me or himself, but whether he should. I thought that gets right down to the heart of Bernard's problems and a lot of the characters in the shows is that one of the leaps toward consciousness is not whether they can it's whether they should which is where Maeve is Maeve knows that she could 
mess with the fates of these characters, but she's letting them determine that, and that's also what Dolores is going through. Yeah, yeah, we deserve to choose our own fate, even if that fate is death. Um, I couldn't even pick one this week. There's so many good ones. Uh, I think that the, the, the May, I mean, Man in Black and, and Emily talking about elephants is probably going to end up being, you know, the, the the one with the most resonance. That or Hello, Old Friend, the line that they did in the show. For some reason, um, Teddy really got to me this week. He had two great lines. because he's hot now. Yeah. yeah. Um, when he says to Dolores, I never thought I'd want to leave Westworld implicitly, but I suppose you fixed that too. Or Sweetwater, I guess, not Westworld, but both. Um, never thought I'd want to leave, but I suppose you fixed that too. That dismissiveness was great. But my favorite line was when he handed the gun to the lab tech and the exploding train, or the soon-to-be expo- you know, uh, explosive-filled train. And he gave him a gun and a bullet, and he said, that's the last of my mercy, which was, what, was that a direct reference to his stats from the previous episode? I, th- yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, he was basically just like, I had one hit point left or whatever, and they, like, <laughs> now you have that. That's the winner for me. Last award, the This Maze Was Not Meant For You Award for the Dumbest Human of the Week. Juliet? I think it's got to be Emily. Yeah. She came in just like swashbuckling, yes. can pick out a host. You're a host. You're a host. You're not a host. All sex with you. She can't even fucking tell her dad is potentially a host. You're making making these mistakes. I also think there's a lot more to be discussed with like suicide related to Emily and William and what Juliet. The, what was the theory that like the mom committed suicide, but we but we don't have any reason to think she like cut her wrist in a bath. So the memory of the bath was some was that. Well, Danny thought that could be William committing suicide. The theory per, is that per your article on the ringer.com. Yes, per my article on the ringer.com. Uh, the theory is that William, the flashback we see William have in episode four. Earlier earlier in that episode, he tells James Delos, like, the world might be better off without me. And then we yeah. see him in the town with Lawrence, and the he flashes back to an overflowing bathtub with, you know, blood and stuff. And the, the, I mean, admittedly, the whole theory relies on that he told the story that his wife died in a bathtub with pills, but there was no mention of, of blood or anything, right. which that could totally have just been a flashback sure. of his wife. But the theory goes that he also then Committed did the same thing. And, right. and then— Now he's a host. Yeah. What's your dumbest human of the week, Danny? The, the people who did closed captioning for HBO. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Unless they're the smartest humans of the week. Well, all right, you know what? That's unfair because it's not their job. Whoever, like, did that, they don't have the agency. Whoever told them to do that— Gets the dumbest human because yeah. either they messed up That's or the, they just gave the whole game you, away. The, the, you only had one job award as a separate award designation <laughs> for this week. I'm inclined to say Elsie um, because when Bernard says it was, she's like, I can't, I haven't even turned your pain down yet, and he's like, now we don't have time, and it's like, no, we've seen this. <laughs> it takes one second for Elsie to not just be like, okay, and then do it anyway, just to be nice. But <laughs> takes two because seconds. I'm now firmly convinced that that Elsie is Charlotte Hale, I'm not. I'm going to give her a pass on this. So it's all part of some weird narrative. I just got. I think Emily's probably the winner, but for the sake of of, uh, of mixing things up. I'm going to give the award to Coughlin, um, <laughs> head of QA, because something that he has already done is going to bite him in the ass really hard, right? I mean, he, there's that that man only exists to be a uh, to to be a metaphor for the um, for the hubris of humanity, right? Yeah, he, he's an idiot. Yeah, but he's he, funny. I'm preemptively calling him. Oh, he's fantastic. He's fantastic. Show that desperately needs humor. I love that. Great. I love that people come in from the outside with Westworld with with more Westworldy mustaches than the ones that exist <laughs> inside the park. That's really wonderful. All right. Anything else you want to get to before we say goodbye? Random notes. Uh, I would just say the Snow Mountain we saw. That's actually in the opening credits. So check that out next time. Oh, really? Yeah. No, Snow Mountain. Like that's in the opening credits, which we see. Um, is that from the Botanical Gardens? It really felt like I thought it. it was a hun- I thought it was um, the, the Hunting Gardens. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it looked like it. The place was beautiful. Uh, it the, is beautiful. I highly recommend going yeah. there. Yeah, and I actually might do that after this podcast. Yes, yeah, check it out. Man. Memberships are very affordable. <laughs> it's really, it's really nice there, and they just redid all the food services. So, so good. Get a good uh, meal. The real life Musashi. Musashi is based on a real life samurai lived in the 1500s. Oh, cool. uh, he wrote a book, uh, the Book of Five Rings, one of which discussed the Book of Water, Two Heavens, One Style, where he talks about using. Two swords. So that was a very yeah. actual homage cool. to the real samurai. That was really gross. Um, oh, and then they pa- I have to say, they passed by a globe mm. in the last section. Oh, yeah, when Elsie and, and uh, Bernard walk into the mesa or whatever for the first Maybe time. Maybe there's just dust on my screen at home. I swear to God that there was a landmass between Australia and, China, and like, 
Asia. Like there was an actual like they added a landmass to the globe. I swear. And that's where you think this is? Yeah, that this is like the South China Sea was well, roughly the size of New Zealand. Chinese are building a new island in the South China Sea. So there you, there you go. go. Right now? Sandcastles, yeah. as they call them. Do we think mm-hmm. it's possible that HBO is funding this? <laughs> if, they, think, if they are, that'd be a big scoop. Yeah. I think, ZT, I think um, ZT is funding it. One more pedantic question. The the red brain ball from last episode. Red that, cupcakes? That Bernard went and snatched from the lab was 100% Ford, right? That's what we're meant to take from this. And then he put, and then he, it <laughs> put was it his the mission to put Ford into the cradle. I'm going 89. 89%? There's, a, there's definitely, is Westworld, there's always a chance that, like, it's not it, but, like, it better be it. All right. Well, enough for the stupid questions for this week. I appreciate you both coming by. Thank you for having me. This has been a thrill. I this hope, is really fun. I hope I lived up to the very high bar that You're has been way set. way better than fantasy. I'll tell you that wow. right now. Wow. Yes. Um, Danny, thanks as always. Augie, thanks for recording this. Everybody who's listening, um, thanks, amigos. We'll see you back here probably later this week. Bye. Our theme song was made by our friends at songfinch.com. Check out Songfinch to turn your stories, memories, and feelings into a -a one-of-a-kind song by professional musicians. It makes the perfect gift for any occasion. songfinch.com. 